you're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have Renee Safrata on with me. And over the past 30 plus years, she has worked with thousands of companies and executives throughout North America and Europe, helping them to connect, adopt new behaviors, and become confident members of highly functioning teams. As founder and CEO of Vivo Team Development, she oversees the company's full-spectrum learning experience and develops leaders and teams through live online training, coaching, and people analytics. So welcome to the podcast, Renee. Oh, thanks, Wayne. Great to be here. So I always have one question that I get started with so that everybody knows who's talking to them. And that is kind of tell your story. How, what are you all about? How'd you get to where you are? Um, whatever you want to talk about there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would say that it's been a surprising turn of events that have brought me here. If I were to look back 40 years ago and say, Renee Safrata would be the owner of a Canada wide team that it has a global footprint and that's delivering leadership and team effectiveness training and development spiced up with analytics, I would have said, no way, no way. So to put some color to that, I am an only girl of a quite an entrepreneurial family. My father uh, was came out of Prague, and he escaped out of Prague, and he built for himself an entrepreneurial architectural firm in Toronto, Ontario, met the met the woman of his dreams, had three children. I was the third. And what's important about that was he was an entrepreneur. And I think for my story, that set the stage for my ability to be interested in solopreneurship and then entrepreneurship. So I'm actually on my fifth venture and some have been solopreneurship and some have been entrepreneurial ventures. Some have been partnerships. Um, but it really gave me that uh desire to risk, desire to work from home, desire to realize I could solve problems anywhere in the world as long as I had great communication. And yeah, so that's what set me on my path. I educated myself, again, based on his influence as an architect, I educated myself in Toronto as an interior designer, wrote my NCIDQ exams uh, through a New York area, so I could be called an interior designer slash interior architect. I set up my first boutique design firm in Toronto for 11 years, and I was doing residential uh, interiors as well as retail and, and a little bit of commercial. I ended off that career uh, being a specialist in big box design. So I was working on networks of brands. So they may have one location to 110 locations sort of thing. Those were throughout North America. And I would say that the expertise there was really how to make um, the customer experience shine, no matter what iteration of that um, of that network that you you went to, whether it was an independent standalone or it was sort of a street uh, smaller pod within the network. And I think throughout that process, without noticing, I realized that it wasn't necessarily marketing, architectural, interior design that really was juicing me. What was really juicing me was the teams and how teams were working together. So that's how I discovered my passion. And I, I will often say to people, my passion is really figuring out why does it take 
you know, one team is so easy for them to unlock the code of collaboration, whereas another team just uh, trips over their own dysfunction over and over and over again. Like, what's the difference? So I led and I worked on some really great teams and I led and I worked on some really broken teams, but that was my love. I put together, I moved to um, Vancouver in that process, British Columbia, uh, which I love. I love it here because I always feel like I'm on vacation a bit. Uh, love the views here. love being by the water. And that was important to me. And when I moved, I realized that I was at that sort of pivot point in my career where I needed to figure out how was I going to align my passion to what I was doing. So the interesting part about my story, I think, was I had a great conversation with someone and they suggested to me that I put together a board of directors, not a formal board of directors, but rather an informal board of directors. So what I did was I looked at my life and I realized that in my at that point, let's say 14 years of the beginning of my career, as a woman, I was, this would have been the late 80s, early 90s, I just kept presenting to larger groups of men. And there were men within that those groups that really didn't understand what value I was bringing to the table. And I had a hurdle to get over. I had to like somehow present myself differently or somehow speak differently to them so that they understood my strength and what I could really contribute. And that was becoming a stuck point. So in order to create the informal board of directors, what I chose to do was think about the archetypes of men that and, and, and by the way, I'm putting the lens of men just because that's where it was then. It could have been men and women, right? If we were to look at it today. Uh, so I'm not making any ge- gender bias on that. Um, so I put together archetypes of those viewpoints and impressions that I was bumping up against. And then I selected within my network out of those four archetypes, the people that I could see had similarities. And I went to them and I said, would you be willing to meet with me one hour a month and give me feedback? Because I think I'm at a real pivot point in my career and I need to align my passion. They all said, yes, they were all interested in meeting with me. And then what I did was I brought in a coach because I, again, in that lens, as a woman business owner, I didn't want to become a man and do business. I wanted to keep my female identity, but I wanted to do business well. So that was a great experience. And what happened out of that great experience was at the seven month mark, one of those men said to me, Hey, you know what? I think this is, this is what your strength is. I think this is what your passion is. And actually I think that I have the vehicle and I'd like you to join as a partner in my company. So that's when I pivoted and I dropped all of the interior design architectural branding piece, started that and put together a company, a boutique company in British Columbia that was bringing CEOs and presidents to the table to deal with the things that they couldn't talk about in the workplace. It was based off a YPO or a YEO model, but it was a boutique iteration of that. And through that experience, it made my world large because here I was in British Columbia now, and I was in front of, on any given month, 90 to 100 CEOs of presidents. And so that was brilliant because I really sort of got my MBA in business, shall we say, because I was a tactician for design. (laughs) Uh, So that was great to layer that on. And I could see that this was more in alignment with my passion, which was how do people actually work together? So I started to become an expert with CEOs on how do they get their teams to collaborate at a higher level instead of 
being a CEO who knew that they hired the right person, they had the right people on the bus, but those people were actually posturing, should we say the word posturing, or directing their attention to the people that they were leading, not to their number one team, which was a strategic table, the team that they were on. So wait, I got myself fired a few times because I can smell conflict like burning rubber. I tell the truth. And so I would go into these CEOs with their v- uh, VPs and I'd say, this is what I see going on. And it caused some discomfort, let's say discomfort. And uh, But what I realized was I really loved it. I really loved three factors. And actually those three factors is what Vivo team is today. So one factor was looking at the behaviors that were sitting around the boardroom table, what was going right, what was going wrong. We do that in our behavioral people analytics. The second thing was understanding what behaviors they could change to work together at a higher level. Those are our six key indicators of soft skill competencies, motivations, and collaboration factors now. And then to provide stop action. So stop action in a boardroom table would be, okay, let's stop what we're talking about right now and apply the new behavioral model that that we're talking about into this specific situation. And we do that in our training solution where we do group coaching and cohort training and development so that teams and leaders can really connect to the things that they're learning and apply that right into their day-to-day. So that's what's really brought me to Vivo Team. And I think along the way as well, I I had the experience of recognizing and becoming more confident as a uh, as a woman in business that I could do it and that I could gather a great team of people around me to help me do what I'm doing. And that's where I sit today. Excellent. Like a good story. I, I, there's a lot to really kind of dive in there. I, you know, the first question I would have is, you know, what what types of behaviors do you see as being, you know, maybe the most common? Mm. Well, let's let's let me spice up that question. Let's talk about the most common and the most the ones that can create the most hurdle. <laughs> the greatest hurdle. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So we've done the research on this. And when I say we've done the research on this, we went into the marketplace and asked a great pool of of companies and a great pool of people about what are the key indicators that create high function within the team. So we know that the six, we call them the six key indicators. Those six competencies are communication, effectively communicating, uh, holding one another accountable, whether you're a coworker or a leader to a manager or a leader up leading to their next level manager. Emotional intelligence, having psychological safety with the groups of people that you're working with, being able to assert yourself, have empathy for other and social skills. Uh, Interactive feedback, being able to give one another feedback, which is really a feedback on past behavior and suggested future behavior that will match our expectations on how things can, we can run projects or we can collaborate at a high level. Structures, all those things that require teams to work well together, whether those are online tools, um, whether those are meeting efficiencies, agendas, how we make decisions, all the structures that need to hold the place together. And then the last one, which is cohesion. So really knowing who are the subject matter experts that we have at the table. We find quite often that when we work with teams and leaders, 
people don't know what the other person does. <laughs> we need to know what the other person does so that we can lean on it instead of duplicating that work. So I said I'd spice that up with, you know, where's the biggest hurdle? If you can't effectively communicate, um, it's hard to do the other things. Hard to have structures, hard to give feedback, hard to hold people accountable, hard to understand how to lean on others. Um, so what we recognize is that so many people come into teams and perhaps in their education or their family experience or their business experience, they've learned some sort of model for communication. They don't have a common model for communication. And what that means is that they, can, they can't navigate a conversation easily and effortlessly. You think of any dinner party, Wade. Like when you go to a dinner party of 10 or 12 people, by an hour into the dinner, even half an hour into the dinner, there are groups of three people talking. And that's because you can easily navigate, if you don't have a common model for communication, you can easily navigate a conversation and even get a decision if you're working with three people. But if you don't have a common model, it starts to really blur uh, after the three people. Excellent. Um, so you're working with a group of executives uh, yes. who have gotten to where they are because you know their their skills are seen as good, as strong. Yes, and they've also a lot of times have you know developed sort of a, a healthy ego around it. Yes. So so how do you handle going into a group like that and saying you know you need to make change? Well, I think it all has to do with them being aligned to the problem. So. Again, the beauty of looking at behaviors is that behaviors can are demonstrated and behaviors could almost be videotaped or recorded on my iPhone or you know, camera device. I can see a behavior. So let's say for let's take a let's go back to communication. Let's say one member in the boardroom is making a presentation and three other people are talking over him or interrupting she or he. Um that's ineffective. Those are ineffective behaviors that I can actually video record on a video camera. If I then tell the truth, which I was doing, if I then tell the truth and say, hey, how's this working for you? I immediately get a conversation around that behavior. And if I can get alignment that yeah, it doesn't really work for us. Now I've got alignment and I've got interest. How could we do this differently? So I think my point being is if you can look at behavioral science, which is, removes characteristic attributes, profile style analysis, da, 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 and you can really just look at what is demonstrated that is getting the team down, then you can start to get alignment. And once you have alignment, then people are open to help me out. That's what we see in our analytics is that often when participants are surveyed, and let's say I'm on a team and I've thought that communi our communication sucks. I have thought that. That's been my assumption. But now when the Vivo team report comes back and it says, look, multiple numbers of people on your team agree with you. It's not working. And here are the reasons why. Then those people say, oh, this is shared. This is a shared opinion. Now, how can we help this? They're much more aligned to how can we help this? And you know what? I, I, I have to say, Wade, that that has come out of not doing it that way, meaning I didn't have analytics before. I was making assumptions. But now that we have the analytics and that we get the weigh-in and the buy-in from everybody, it makes a lot of sense. So what are some of the analytics that you look at? 
Yeah, so we're looking, we are, we are looking at behavioral science. We're looking at factors of competence, which is skill, uh, motivation, which is will, my will to do this, and collaboration factors. How do we work together? It's a systems theory with the leader and the team. And we are measuring team effectiveness across those six key indicators that I mentioned. I'll just mention them quickly again. Communication, accountability, interactive feedback, structures, cohesion, and emotional intelligence. And we are looking at team and leader alignment. And we are also looking at team, uh, the, the gap between the perception of the team's uh, thinking or perceptions of the leader's um, uh, capabilities in both operational and inspirational leadership against the leader's awareness of their skill, will, and motivation for the same. And there we bring up uh, through our algorithm, a leader effectiveness score and a behavioral gap between leaders to teams. This is really, really fascinating for leaders because when I can understand out of 10 key behaviors, Two of them, I have a real disconnect with my team's perception, and I can get those back into alignment. That saves money. So our algorithm is doing a cost of loss of productivity against those six key indicators. And our leader effectiveness score is bringing an algorithm in to make sure that the leader and the teams are aligned. Excellent. And, and so the, the power of the analytics is it really does get their attention. It does get their attention. And the majority of the customers that we work with are very hard skilled operators, engineers, uh, you know, program developers, software developers, um, fast growth companies and hard skill construction utilities, people that like data, they need data. So, you know, in the past, and one of the things that we tried to disrupt was this whole idea that soft skills couldn't be measured. We have, we have, we are award winning both Brandon Hall on how we are measuring behavioral science and behaviors. So we're winning the race on that right now. Yeah, excellent. So a lot has happened in the last couple of years. Yeah. Right. How, how has that impacted kind of the, the collaboration and effectiveness of teams in the workplace? Yeah, it's significantly impacted um, a lot of factors. What you're, you just said, the collaboration um, of teams and leaders, it's also significantly impacted the way that corporations look at their invisible balance sheet, which is all about the people. And it's significantly impacted um, awareness of how uh, teams and leaders can collaborate in, let me call it a paradigm shift of doing that virtually across a distributed team, a globally distributed team. We have teams now who are solving problems and working on projects from multiple time zones and multiple areas. So it's really opened up the lens on what is important and how it is important to develop leaders so that they have the acumen where they can help teams come together, align on projects and collaborate at a high level. I think for, I, I know for Vivo team, you know, in the first 30 to 60 days, we didn't know when the lockdown happened, how our business would um, survive or thrive, but we actually have thrived. We were in four countries pre-COVID, um, four of our clients took us into 19 countries uh, throughout the, the early days of COVID. So again, we've got a really global footprint. And I think what's actually quite magical is because I came to the table building this business thinking, 
again from those early days of my father in the late 60s early 70s working out of his home and working globally i don't really it doesn't really matter to me if we're knowledge workers where people are working on all of the projects within vivo team so i brought good people together and those good people happen to be in halifax toronto british columbia and now in napa and in memphis so good people are can be in any location for our business i recognize not every business but for our business so it's a funny thing if i think about pre-covid when i was having conversations with that about people or i was trying to do sales conversations on zoom people didn't understand that and people didn't understand that we wanted to deliver our products all on zoom or on a learning experience platform or through surveys and reports that were digital now it's completely opened up the ideas that this is a possibility and actually it could be a great part of your portfolio yeah, excellent. It's it really is a changing time. It changes every day. Yeah. Every day. And I think too, that's what corporations have to invest in their people to help their managers and their leaders be extremely change resilient. Mm -hmm. Some of our existing customers who have been with us since far before COVID have come to us and said, look, everything that our leaders and managers learned in that paradigm has now shifted. So let's get them back to the training and development table to what is current now to help them be skilled up so that they can work with all of these distributed teams. And I think a lot of uh, companies as well recognize that they hadn't skilled their leaders up. And a lot of their leaders were just um, managing by what they knew, which was observation. If people looked busy in the office, it looked like things were getting done and they didn't they weren't really holding them accountable or giving them the feedback or managing the structures to get the projects done like they needed to now people you know some of those companies are really suffering and they're making that investment and i can hear that in my conversations i'm talking to people all week long and i can hear that in the conversations people have more respect for those frontline managers and how to retain them over time, they realize that knowledge is walking out the door. Yeah, that, that's a powerful realization. Yeah, oh yeah. You're not going to have sustainable business results or be competitive if your knowledge center, <laughs> your intellectual capital is actually walking out the Zoom room, <laughs> just yeah. shutting down the Zoom room or the Teams room, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, absolutely. so where's it going in the future? What do you see as the future of Teams? Yeah, I think the future of Teams is actually quite exciting. Um, one of the things that I haven't mentioned to you today is that I'm a digital nomad. So I've, I've rented my house and I live five months in Whistler and seven months in Barbados right now because I can. And uh, I think that many there's going to be many opportunities for people as there are if they're willing to unlock from place significantly to really have a global perspective and to have a lifestyle that really brings in um you know the the places that you want to be for your lifestyle not the places that you have to be attached to because that's your office mm -hmm. and so i'm excited about that i'm also excited about how um i think hr learning and development talent leaders organizational development leaders are getting more data to the strategic table a lot of our buyers come to us and say i'm the only one that sits at the strategic table that does not bring data to the ceo so i think there's now an understanding that we need data and the data is going to help us understand who our top talent are 
who we need to develop in the organization, and how much our talent is costing us. And so with that comes the perspective that no longer is learning and development a cost. It's actually an investment into the future of being competitive and the growth of the organization. And that's that's exciting. That's exciting for those of us who are learning and development experts who really believe that you can set your leaders and managers up for success by giving them the tools that they need to drive you know, values and drive strategic objectives. It is a very exciting time, for sure. It is. Yeah. It is. I wish I was like in my mid thirties right now. <laughs> in my career, my career doors would really be open, right? Yeah. A- amen to that. Amen. You know, so, if you're if you're a CEO um, sitting on one of these teams, how, what should you be doing today to prepare for that future? I think today you should really be giving your I think today maybe you should be going for a walk with yourself mm-hmm. and thinking about what's my truth about how I'm leading the organization. Is it one of control and sort of profit and loss only? Or is it one about, hey, people are the people who I need to solve the problems and therefore I want to invest in the people? I think there there's a divide and that's okay. Choose your lane. That's fine. Whatever lane you're in, choose it, choose it clearly, and then build the way that you, you need to build. Um, I think also that, that CEOs, if they're recognizing that they can't take the, they can't put the toothpaste back in the tube sort of thing. Like they can really, grow their companies in different manners because there is a new paradigm and because we have all been jammed into that paradigm together globally, that there's a great wealth in how things can be done differently, that becomes exciting. So that becomes the gem or the unknown of the organization of where we can go, what markets we can play in, and how competitive we can be. I think that's, again, exciting. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I think the the CEOs and business leaders that really embrace it, yeah, they're going to win in the next, you know, decade. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think the other thing that I've seen with our clients, the clients that have done it well, have provided a pause point for the C-suite executives and a pause point for everyone within the organization. And that pause point has allowed them to gather how they're going to use new technologies, how they're going to be in hybrid teams, um, what's working, what's not working for them. Because a lot, as you know, every company is different. Every company has different needs in different departments. Some, yes, can be knowledge workers. Some need to be back at work. But how do we how do we uh, engage and sort of future-proof ourselves so that I don't think this is over. I think we're going to have sort of ebbs and flows between pandemics mm-hmm. in the future. But as long as we are prepared uh, and we can pull in plan B or plan A whenever we need to and have that change resilience as a cultural um, aspect, we're good. Yeah. Change resilience is such a core capability, I think, going forward. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And and uh, many of us like like our comfort place. We like to be in the box. We like our feet to stick in the sand or stick in the mud because it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. But, but when people start to recognize the opportunities of 
being more risky or getting out of the box or trying on things just because you're a human being and it might work and it might not work, but as long as you can navigate the consequences, you're fine. Uh, that becomes quite energy, um, uh, energy building. Like yeah. I get a lot of energy when I take a risk. It, it's fun for me. But again, yeah. <laughs> I'm not the norm. I'm an entrepreneur, not the norm. <laughs> yeah, that I, I've never heard it said better. <laughs> well, I have one more question before I let you get out of here, and that is, how do people find you? Yeah, people find me uh, very easily. I'll give you three ways. VivoTeam.com is our website. To find me personally, I invite you to send an email to Renee with two E's at VivoTeam.com. Or to make it super easy, hello at VivoTeam.com will get to me and get to the right people that will get to me as well. Excellent. We'll link all that up in the show notes. That's great. Really appreciate you taking the time today. This was a great conversation. Yeah, thanks, Wade. I really enjoyed it as well. And I hope people do reach out to me because I enjoy having conversations and I spend every day and every week just exploring with people. And it's a great way to keep on trend with what's happening out there. So I invite anyone to call me. Absolutely. That's great. And thank, and thank you for listening to the Aim to Win podcast. As always, like us, follow us, all that good stuff on wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts.